Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. And this week's episode is brought to you by Divine Phoenix Books, books with a purpose for a positive change. We are really excited about our guest today. You know Sandra Fish from her role as Nomi's mom, Janet, the woman we love to hate on Sense8. Sandra's acting credits also include Obit, 2013, Radiant, 2005, and she was also in Bartlett with Michael Summers, who plays Bug on Sense8. Sandra wrote a screenplay hired by William Hurt based on her work with refugees. She lived in Kenya for two years and was the first and only Mzungo, or white person, on the Swahili soap opera, which aired all over Eastern Africa. Sandra is also a caregiver and co-founder of the Humane Prison Hospice Project, with decades of passion for prison reform. She taught at Rikers Island Prison, worked as an employment specialist for newly released prisoners in Manhattan, attended ex-prisoner support groups, and visited Sing Sing to observe classrooms there. While working with older, newly released prisoners, she heard time and time again, I'll never go back. If I go back, I'll die in prison. I don't want to die in prison. I don't want to die in prison. Sandra cannot get that out of her head or her heart and will not give up on the mission to make sure there is an end-of-life care with prisoners giving volunteer care in every prison. Currently, Sandra is co-chair for San Francisco End-of-Life Network and has trained and worked as a hospice volunteer with added training in pediatric hospice and vigil. We're going to dive into all this incredible work she's doing in the prisons and hospice after we talk about some of the experience she's had on Sense8. So welcome, Sandra. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) Well, we're pretty excited to have you here. And I love getting to know you and see and hear the beautiful things you're bringing into this world and... um, it's just such a pleasure to hear the sensate energy going out through you as well. It seems like such a contradiction to your character. Than I am. Well, you know what? Let's do that. Let's talk about your character right off the bat. Let's get this on the table. A lot of the people we've interviewed have talked about how the character they play is very much like who they are in person. So (laughs) I don't 
think I don't think that's the case with you. Not at all. <laughs> Tell us how no. you relate to Janet and and your feeling of playing that role. Well, um, this I do have strong strong uh, philosophy around this as an actor um, and as a human being because I do feel that as an actor you get to ex- truly experience the unity the truth of unity in humanity and that uh, separateness is an illusion. So when I do roles, and and as an actor, it's wonderful to do uh, uh, people who are completely different than myself, to really get in their skin. And I approach it always without judging them Uh and loving them. You know, I have to say this, I kind of channeled an (laughs) ex-sister-in-law who I really love, but she has such really narrow-minded and unhealthy views. So, so when I got into Janet, uh, you know, Janet thinks she's right. Absolutely. She really cares about, you know, know me, Michael. And uh, (laughs) so, so that was, so my approach is to to embody her as as honestly and uh, as I can uh, to because it needs to be seen too. It's a it's 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 a it's a sad and 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 horrible way of uh, uh, living, but it's a reality, and so I want it to be as honest as possible and and. Uh, when I was working with a lovely Jamie, who I love her, uh, the first scene, because she's, she's upset with <laughs> in between scenes, and I would grab her hand and say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and people who, who don't know me, and then people who know me are like, whoa, uh, and they said, I tried to tell my friend you're a nice person. Even, even <laughs> Jamie said that. She goes, I tried to tell my friend you're really... <laughs> Believe me. So that's satisfying as an actor. That, yeah, that's Great a huge job. compliment. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that, um, you know, going into these characters and with people that you kind of, you tried to, you know, op- come at these other points of view from characters with an open heart. Did you start to, I'm not going to say conform, but did you start to have an appreciation for characters that might be opposite of you as you open up and, and channel who they might be and see life through their eyes? Well, the appreciation comes from an understanding. I don't I don't agree with them. Um, it's not like, oh, yeah, well, maybe she's right. No, that's not where I go. I just understand where they're coming from, and it's not an evil place. Although it may seem evil, it's it's... You know, I think there are very few evil people. I think people are good and they mean well and they're doing the best they can. And so understanding them. um, Well, a a Tolstoy quote, I used it when I worked with refugees in Africa, too, because I wanted to understand their their situations is Tolstoy said to know anything, you, you need to love it. And so approaching something with love to know it is a, is really does work. <laughs> it, it has worked for me. So definitely yeah, I shows don't, through I don't, with this I don't role. walk away going, oh, I'm on board with what Janet thinks. I'm just, I'm, I'm, 
I have a tenderness towards her that many people probably don't. Yeah, we actually talked when we talked about the hospital scene earlier um, in the episodes we did, we talked about how it is a form of love. I mean, like you said, she clearly loves her child in the express love in different ways. So it's still love. It's just not necessarily the expression of love that we would like to receive in our life. And I I will openly say it's unhealthy and damaging and destructive. Right. Form of, it's still her way, but she, she needs guidance or help (laughs) or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's destructive to her daughter. So. And that gives me, so one of the things I noticed is that Janet is perhaps the only, and this is not about acting, and I think it's about, I think it's going to change. I really believe it's going to change. But in the scene so far, I think that Janet is the only one-dimensional character because in the sense that um, the you know Lana and all the writers do an amazing job of making sure we see that even the, quote, villains are multidimensional. There's different aspects, things that make them up, but we don't get a window into Janet yet with that. So, yet. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. But um, did you, so I know you just said you kind of channeled an ex-sister-in-law that you love, which helped you bring that understanding in. Did you create a backstory for her so that you could play her more? So even though we haven't shown through the script um, any deeper dimensions in her, you clearly can see it in your acting and in your face and and, um, some of the scenes, the torment within you that creates that behavior. Did you create a backstory for her that would help you to draw that in? Yeah, I, I when I first was auditioning, of course, I I, she, I had her a little more tender actually, and 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 Lana when we when I first hit the set wanted you know, gave me some direction where, where I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and um, yeah, the backstory, uh, you know, is is a very uptight childhood and and a lot of pain and not being able to be herself and being brought up in a in a upper class sort of conservative restrictions everywhere um you know i had i had some ideas there you know sometimes my backstories are a little over the top you know maybe (laughs) sexual abuse Mm -hmm. as a as a child and um, so this absolute determined, this control freak, you know, everything, the, it's all driven from fear. Right. So this, and, and, and her image is so important because of the damage so that um, how people think of her, you know, and oh, and I did have this backstory and I always kind of fantasized that it would come, come into a scene, but it didn't, that, sh- that Janet delighted in little Michael, you know, who would dress up probably in dresses and do things and delighted because she loved her child so much. And, and, and because this child was creative and everything, but at some point, you know, maybe at age when, when Michael Nomi was five, uh, other people were, were giving her looks, you know, criticizing. And so she did an about face and, Mm -hmm. and, 
you know, and got very, and so it just is this layers upon layers and an un, you know, an unhappy marriage staying in that for the appearance of it. I'm very excited, though, for the genius that is going to come in the special. <laughs> Yay. That was one, you know, multiple people have mentioned that you have an integral part um, in the special. <laughs> Can you share any of that or no? What I'll share is um, because as I, I, when I was, didn't receive the scenes yet, I was like, what are they going to do with me? <laughs> what can they do? You know, and I hope I get the script soon because, you know, I need to, there's got to be something. And when I got it, I, it was something so surprising that I had not, because I was considering it, you know, every possibility. And they wrote something I had not even considered. It is such genius. And it delighted me oh, so much. Perfect. I thought, oh, if I can pull this off. Um, it, it's, I really hope I did pull it off. But it, it, it's just, it's really is genius what they did. So I, I really can't. I, I don't want to, you know, I can't spoil it. I, I don't even I'm tell okay with my spoilers. friends what to do. But it, it's pretty, uh, it, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable. I think people might like Janet. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> well, like I said, they haven't. I think one of the things that Lana wants to make sure of is that everyone is multidimensional, even with their choices. So um, there's, yeah, I think we'll. <laughs> I I know you know. I believe we will. I happen to be a psychic, but <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So hopefully you'll come back after the premiere or after the finale and then we can talk about what happened in it. I would love to. Are you kidding me? I would love to. Thank you. <laughs> well, that'll be wait. fun. Yes. So oh. tell us more about, so did you then actually um, audition specifically for Janet and, and how did that yeah. go and how has your oh, life changed? story uh because yeah i auditioned for it was janet and i was very excited and it was very secret they wouldn't tell us really who was doing it or what it was and and uh i thought i, I got this you know I, you know how it's a wonderful feeling when you you feel like okay i, I know this i got this you know you, you do the audition and then you have a call back and and then and I'm living in this cabin and I don't have a car. I didn't have a car for like 10 years, a, a, a commercial in Sense8. I finally, cause I don't borrow money or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to pay cash for things. So I, I bought a car after Sense8. <laughs> nice. So I'm in this kind of precarious living situation and they said, okay, they really want you and then you you know and then you then you have this long conversation with the casting director because they want to make uh, Lana and and Lily wanted to make sure um I wasn't really Janet and uh and see who I was and and all of that and then and so they were then they were inviting me to the table read but I wasn't quite booked you know so you always you can't really uh, embrace it till then. And I remember I was standing waiting for this funny little country stage. It's called the stage bus. And I had a phone call from my agent who said, well, they've released you. 
You're, uh, they're going to cast it in Chicago uh, because their schedule has changed and they're going to shoot their first scenes with Janet in Chicago. And so I remember, of course, being bummed out. And I remember I kept thinking, well, that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> I was not quite accepting it. And I was disappointed, but I wasn't laying on the floor screaming. But I was like, wow, that just doesn't feel right at all. And this went on for nearly a month of not feeling right. And I get a call uh, at the cabin about six o'clock one night. My agent's like, well, do you want to fly to Chicago? And I said, of course they didn't find any actors in Chicago. <laughs> so, so I was very happy. Very, very, very happy. My daughter uh, works at Pixar. She's um, on the producer track there. So she grew up with all this madness of acting and my mother's an actress. And and uh, so she's very, she gets very excited when things happen. And, and she was like, Mom, this is a game changer. You know, she was very happy. And, and that's satisfying, too. One of the worst things as an actor for me is I can handle the disappointments, but a lot of friends and family are like, you didn't get it? You know, like, Mom, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you have to comfort yeah. them instead of them comforting yeah. you. <laughs> to even say when I'm auditioning for things. But uh, very, very, very happy. And this whole, the whole theme for me in Sensate about the unity and the connection, because I, I so firmly believe that not as a, a pithy little thing. I, I feel it's scientific. We are, we are connected. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's no question about that. And when you alienate anyone you're alienating yourself or part of yourself and you're then people aren't happy because of that I want to be happy <laughs> <laughs> one of my goals in life so connecting and and uh, is a reality for me you know mm -hmm. we are we breathe the same air we're even these sayings like if one of us is chained none of us are free these are things that are true they're not just warm-hearted things to say so I I was very happy with with gosh and the atmosphere on the set and yeah I was going to ask you what is because you then um, Michael talked to us about kind of being in San Francisco and feeling a little bit like an outsider because he was just commuting but you got right. put right in then by and it's also interesting because you didn't have a car so how are you going to get to the set instead you just had to take one flight and then you were there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? It was very convenient for you. <laughs> oh, I always figured out, though. I mean, I've hitchhiked. I've, you know, <laughs> walked miles. Uh, I, I did it for 10 years and some, and a little more, actually. But um, yeah, I got to fly over and in, in land in Chicago. So, how um, was that working with the Wachowskis and Jay Michael and, and all of the cast and you know, what was that experience like for you? You know, it was a very positive experience. Um, you know, I, I did some TV movies in the 80s with screaming directors and just shoot anything kind of thing. Um, and I do have a theater background. So uh, the working with them, very creative. 
which is so satisfying, you know, and very supportive. It, it, it is, Lana does have a strong, for me, a strong motherly presence. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and just very, you just, you know, she gave, when, when we flew to Paris and, 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 I'm, I always think of myself as, you know, I'm this minor character and, and she's just the biggest hugs and, and you just feel so welcomed. And I'm also an actor though, who needs, I, I, I kind of isolate myself when I'm working. I, it's hard for me to, especially with a character like Janet, I can't like hubbub and glad hand and talk on the set and that kind of thing. I, I sort of need a lot of quiet and and focus it's I've always been that way but the set just was a very warm uh creative is the main thing I love the creative feeling on the set and it was a mission everyone seemed on board um everybody the sound people you know everybody seemed to have the same mission of of making it work and doing doing what they bringing what they had you know same thing as in the, in the actual show mm-hmm. which i feel strongly about we all have strengths we all have weaknesses one of my least favorite sayings is oh i pulled myself up my own bootstraps right. that's impossible okay <laughs> no one no one and never met anyone nor will I ever meet anyone who has done it alone we really do need each other's strengths to to accomplish anything so that that was a strong feeling about the show too yeah really exceptional really exceptional that's great and it's just consistent across the board we haven't heard anyone you know complain not that they maybe would on a podcast but also you can see it um in the way people continue to represent themselves there's no gossip you know um in a world that likes to gossip you don't hear any everything seems to be in full integrity with sensei yeah integrity is the word yeah because that's that's like that's a wholeness you know it's a wholeness it's a connectedness if you have integrity. Yeah. So awesome. I do need to ask you, and we're going to go to a clip in a second, but I, <laughs> I got to go back to it because I'm a spiritual channel <laughs> and, and I work with people and help them channel. I believe that actors um, are uh, some actors channel in the same way <laughs> that I would channel a being that would bring back, bring in messages. So you mentioned channeling. Can I mm-hmm. can I prod you to talk about what that feels like sure. and means to you? Sure, it's um, it's a combination of things, and I think uh, at some point there it's the letting go part mm-hmm. where the channeling can happen a bit. Uh, I, I do all the you know the backstory, the memorizing, the the thought of the of the scene, and all of that. And then the letting go part where completely, and it's very satisfying, the complete letting go and allowing the the character to come in and do whatever they do. Right. So when I'm working, I don't, the best, the best moments are when I'm not thinking at all. I really don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, the character is there doing all my thinking, all my movements, everything. So I don't know, you know how, no, that, how much 
channeling that is, but that's the sense I get. No, I think that's a perfect description of channeling. I I really do. And I think um, it's so much more natural than people, you know, especially creatives. I think artists channel, novelists channel, actors channel. You know, I think that it happens much more than people realize. That's why I wanted to go back to that because it's not a huge, it's, it's a it's a quality we all possess if right. we uh, exercise it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have? You said you when playing a character like this, you have to kind of um, not in not chat and isolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isolate. Do you? Yes. Do you feel like you kind of merge with that character? Are you sort of on some level channeling throughout until you know what, the whole time you were in Chicago? I, I do. That, that's my best scenario. It's very hard to do um, mm-hmm. because people do come up and talk and, 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 you know, I hate being rude, although I have been rude and <laughs> just done it, gone, leave me alone. I right. <laughs> but um, I, I would prefer that to stay in the character. Um, now, I didn't, I don't do that. Like I didn't talk to people who came up in character, mm-hmm. um, but I prefer that in anything I'm working on. I, I, I try to do that. That's why I try and get alone so that I right. can stay in that. Because I feel like if I stay in that, uh, more creative things will come to me. You know, I'm not done working just because I've learned the lines and have my character down. Right. I, I want it to always have an opportunity to have something else pop in. So, yeah, that would be my preferred, but that's an ideal situation. I'm not Daniel Day Lewis who gets to go on the set and go, everybody treat me like Janet. <laughs> I should have. Did, did you uh, see the movie with the documentary with Jim Carrey when he did that for a whole movie? Jim and Andy about uh, the comedian. You'll have to watch that. He, last name. Yeah. So Jim cool. Carrey um, stayed in character for a Uh whole movie, but they filmed him not behind the scenes. scenes. And so he was channeling, he brings the family of the person in. It's called Jim and Andy. It's a really cool documentary. Is it Andy Hoffman? I think, I don't know. I'm trying to, yeah, I can't remember. He was before my time. (laughs) But do you ever have trouble letting go of the character when it's time to be done? Does that is, or how do you do that? What technique do you use? It's almost scary. I've done very dramatic parts that are people in the audience would be crying and see me after after the show and I'd be like, "Hey, how's it going?" <laughs> all Perfect. <laughs> but no, I'd never have had during rehearsals in theater. I I don't. I it's it, it seeps into my life. But once I'm doing, uh, you know, set and ready and 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 you know, like. I get off the set from so, got off the set from Sensei. No, I have no, no, not at the no. end. But then, so during the rehearsal, like so, growing up as a mom, being another yeah. mom, <laughs> um, yes. yeah. Like, so as you're um, rehearsing, and did it ever affect your relationships? If during those periods of time, did you have to navigate? Um, I think it did. I think it did. Um, because I was, especially during that time, I was an especially obsessed actress. And so I think it kind of did, maybe not dramatically, but maybe mostly because I was so focused on the work mm-hmm. and 
and relationships were came second and uh and my daughter didn't come second but she did have to suffer but i I mean at one point i uh, an agent wanted me to i i raised her in dallas texas i'm from the east coast but long stories about how we ended up in texas but her uh, my daughter's father was in texas and she was only three at the time and and a very wise person um, counseled me and said, do not take your daughter to L.A. You will regret it the rest of your life and, mm-hmm. and or New York. And just, you know, so I didn't go to the larger markets uh, and have never regretted it. And um but I still was an obsessed actor in Dallas doing, you know, right. theater stop and she'd eat Kentucky Fried Chicken in the green room. And mm-hmm. and uh, I was very intense. Uh, uh, if someone was if the phone rang, don't answer that phone. <laughs> so now her job at Pixar, she they have her on the producer track and and she's amazing. She was always the adult in the family. But at one point, they they said, well, now you're going to be handling creatives on the next film. How do you feel about that? Collected <laughs> <laughs> them and said, I have been handling creatives my whole life. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and her, I love her approach because her approach is, I love creating a space um, that makes it makes makes it easier and, and 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 supportive for the people creating and that's that's really she's very very good so i'm quite proud of her that's quite know. a gift yeah that's beautiful yeah and you helped her get that way and <laughs> <laughs> i thought I, I used to tell her you get by me you've got it made <laughs> oh, well, I believe she picked you, so she knew what she was in store she, for. She is awesome, I have to say. Since the second I saw her, I went, oh, my God. I got Alan. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Let's so, yeah, let's do a clip. We're going to see you in action when Nomi falls off the motorcycle. It's, this is in the hospital. Yeah, in the hospital. Yeah. Yep. After. Mom, she's up. My God, I'm sure he's going to be in a coma the rest of my life. How are you feeling, Michael? Oh, my name is Nomi. Oh, I'm sorry. Your mother's been calling you Michael. What kind of name is Nomi? Have you ever heard of anyone named Nomi? You were Michael before you came out of me, and you will be Michael until they put me in my grave. Mom, come on. She almost died. Serves you right. You shouldn't be riding on motorcycles. Do you know how many people a year die on those things? Where's Amanita? She left. She wouldn't have left me. This hospital only allows family into critical care. She is my family. Please, Michael, this isn't your block. This is your life. I think that you should go. I'm not going anywhere. I'm your mother and I love you. It may be on my terms, but I do. So I'm not leaving here until you talk to Dr. Metzger. You still want me to go after he tells you what he told us? And I promise I will leave you alone. There it is. 
Mm-hmm. You're yeah. awesome. <laughs> There's that one little redeeming quality at the end. Is like I'm gonna stay here for this, and then I'll go. But other than that, I was like, it was like fingernails on a chalkboard for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you did a great job. Thank you very much. I appreciate that more than you know. <laughs> I did not, I don't know if this is just in my head or if it was intentional, but I never got, until hearing you say it and talk to you and really focus on this line and you saying, what kind of a name is Nomi? It's it's Nomi, like K-N-O-W-M-E. Yes. yes I did I, not I get that, that till today. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. I know it took me a while too, and all of a sudden I went, "Oh, know me." <laughs> <laughs> it's a begging yeah. to be known by her. I mean, and just to have yeah. those lines. You know, one of the things I'm just always in awe of as we dive deeper in is how profound each line is. It's like almost every single yeah. line in this show has multiple meanings. Like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it, no, the is incredible. Yeah. So did you realize? Yeah. So you did realize that when you were saying the line. Know me? Yeah. You know, I did realize it, but I, but I wasn't, when I was saying it, I wasn't thinking it. Uh-huh. Right. Because you would have been yeah. in character. Yeah. Good. And in that scene, I could really see, it, at least till the end there, where there was like this true, <laughs> some true compassion uh, and love. But I could really see what, what you talked about her as a character and her backstory about how image is so important. Like, I thought yes. that really stood out there. Yeah, and I think the um, the fear around what, you know, like the seclusion of mm-hmm. being, you know, I mean, I wasn't raised upper class, but I wasn't raised in a middle class suburb, and definitely there was some sheltering, like, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, motorcycles were scary, right? Like, or or, you know, her neighborhood might be not a safe neighborhood or you know she refers to the neighbors but in a suburb or upper class you wouldn't have that same kind of neighborhood family it's all so different and just the <laughs> the foreignness of it as she talks about that like it's scary to her that she's losing her child to some not just by the transition but to a whole culture she doesn't understand yeah no, and it and it's just not acceptable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, going to the country club and it's not acceptable, and, and the the conflict, the inner conflict of it, because because Janet loves Nomi deeply and had this you know special relationship when Nomi was a small child. I feel and and that it was blown apart, and she took the path of fear. Right. Uh, I held a friend's hand when she was dying, and what, and she wrote this amazing poem. But the 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 gist of it was, you have a choice. You live by fear or love, mm-hmm. and you you make that choice. And they're they're very different paths. In every moment, that's yeah. your only choice, really, isn't it? You know. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. Yeah. So um, you had alluded to earlier that that was a pretty intense scene to film for both you and um, Jamie. Do you want to share any more of that or not? Well, it was just the, um, you know, and I had started out, like I said, a little softer. And then Lana was like, wait a minute. She she said something like, 
Now that was interesting, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, here's a laptop, here's this. And, and she, she really in her very simple, but deep way of directing made me know what she wanted, wanted. And it right. was a much more, uh, harsh person. Uh huh. In harsh and in controlling and and right. um, and so that it was you know I got it and so that was inflicted on Jamie and Jamie was in tears and uh, uh, and I felt it you know I felt that intensity and and in between takes I you know I grabbed her hand and apologized and and she and and she was always so generous and said oh no you're fabulous good it's making me upset <laughs> right so you're doing your job had, we had a very close uh relationship when we were working you know always mm-hmm. hugging and she you know and it was funny the the second season when I walked in and I was nervous and had uh got my script and a little late and and I was you know and, and when I saw Jamie and I told her this too I said I get, you know, she gave me a big hug and I said, God, now I, I feel like I'm like zapped back to my body. You know, I felt, right. I just, you know, some people do that for you. And she's one of those where I felt like, okay, I'm in my body. I know where I am. Okay, good. We're going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of along this line, I'm going to take one of the Twitter questions because oh, it, it seems similar to what we were just talking about. So Janine Sensate is her Twitter name. And she says, as the woman we love to hate, I would just like to say kudos to her. <laughs> it takes phenomenal actress to make me want to reach into my TV screen and strangle someone. <laughs> But then she goes on to the question, which is, I guess I would just want to know how she felt playing a bad guy in a show that was full of so much empathy. That's a great question. Yeah, isn't Uh, it? It really is. And maybe it speaks to who I am uh, out in my real life. Uh, It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, at all, because I'm playing an important piece, you know, in a way. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I would chuck, I would laugh, I would get kind of a kick out of it because everyone's so beloved and, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I'm, I'm hated and, uh, it, it's, it's sort of humorous to me, but, um, so it didn't bother me. It was, it was in, someone's got to do it. Right. <laughs> so that was me. And, and. No, I was fi- I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with it. It didn't ever... Um, I think even the other actors, it was very funny. In, when we were in Paris, um, I believe it was the one who plays, uh, oh, gosh, the Iceland father. Uh-huh. Um, lovely. Anyway, he came into the dressing room and... Uh, I was smiling and talking and he, he kind of smiled and, and looked at me and sh- shook hands. And then he went, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I recognize you with that. You know, so a lot of the other actors didn't even recognize me with just smiling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Your pictures look like a different person. Like, <laughs> you know, if I didn't know I was on your bio and your website, I would be like, who is this? <laughs> Yeah, that that's to me as an actor, that's one of the, my favorite things is getting into very different people. So, yeah, so no, that it you know, it didn't it it, it just didn't phase me because when I'm Janet, I'm Janet. 
Right. And, and Janet's okay. Janet's in her own ice world that, you know, she's not aware enough to feel like that, you know, so yeah. Do you think the fandom is different with you because you played that role? Like, I mean, there's like a lot of stories about, have you run into fans? Um, you know, yeah, are you recognized even? I, they, when I was in Paris, they didn't recognize me at first as I was, cause there was a little crowd outside the door and I'm sort of a shy private person really is uh-huh. going as I can be. But, uh, so I'd leave and come and then, and then one would recognize me and they were so dear, <laughs> um, you know, and they'd get their picture taken with me and they, you know, and they'd see I'm someone else, you know, and I'm laughing and, and enjoying them. And, um, but I, I haven't had that many experiences. I, I went somewhere with, uh, I went to see, uh, Michael's, uh, fabulous part and movie, the, um, the Boots Riley thing. Uh, sorry to bother you. Oh yeah. That just won an and- award, right? Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's very talk about creative and important. Um, so anyway, uh, we we went together and I and some people were recognizing him and he was very generous and would introduce. Well, what about Janet? And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, they were people when they see me in person. Yeah, they don't scowl. And I don't think they recognize me, frankly, right. most of the time. Yeah, you have a completely different aura. So I think that would make oh. sense people wouldn't recognize you <laughs> that's a good thing <laughs> yeah, yeah it is it's a, that's awesome should we do the second clip sure so this clip is um is it tegan is that the character's name know me sister yeah yeah tegan. Well, yeah okay got it right cool sweet it's at the wedding when the fbi agent rolls on in oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right here we go until we have secured the individual in question. Now hold on a second. FBI. What right do you have to come into my I'm Special Agent Bendix. I'm here to arrest Nomi Marks. No, I don't understand. You said it was free. I thought it was. Oh, God, oh, God. What the hell? Bug, you said it worked. It did work. You saw it worked. I knew this. I knew this was going to happen. Mom, Dad, do something. It's your own fault. I told you not to include him. No, I won't let you. If you want to finish your sacred rite, get out of the way. Otherwise, I can take you downtown, too. Tegan, be reasonable. We knew this could happen. We warned you. Michael is a disaster. He ruins everything. Janet, calm down. There are police officers swarming my daughter's wedding as if I have not endured enough humiliation. Mom. Go ahead. Take his side, even when he destroys your wedding. Please, don't make it any worse. Yep. There you go. <laughs> so there we see, or, or hear, yeah. rather, some of that control freak coming out as she, she had to make it a point that she needed to talk in front of everybody. See, I, and I also hear the torment coming out. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I guess when I said she's the most one-dimensional as far as written so far... Um, you're getting a window into the pain she endured, right. you know, and, and I'm going with your backstory now and it's going on further in my head, in my imagination that 
Like even the if she did have this close bond with her son before her daughter was born, and then if they're really team, you know, like that, the mother being left out, kind of the bond that they created um, afterwards too, or something. Yeah, and, and I do think, and I have seen this with women like her. They're for whatever reason, the wedding is such a big spectacle and right. such an important social moment. Right. That, yeah, she lost all decorum at that point. <laughs> <laughs> in a I mean, very, in so a very put together way though, right? Like yeah. she lost it all with her words, but she still just stood stoic. <laughs> right, she was very so, stoic. <laughs> tight. Yeah. Yes, tight. <laughs> she needs to loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> she needs a little grace in her life. <laughs> she needs the dance. Well, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Yeah. It's a June 8th, yeah. right? We'll see. June 8th. We'll see oh, if, if she loosens up. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Yeah, yeah Maureen um, Lobmeyer from Twitter asked if you would like to see character growth in the road ahead. Of course, yes. I, I was always it. looking for that. I mean, yeah. I had mixed emotions, but but yes, that's that's what I always foresaw. You know that there would be, and I always imagined that. Right, and I'm sure you know with the idea that there were many seasons to let her unfold. Yeah, we would have. Yeah. Yeah, I was always hoping, don't kill me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The hope of every actor, don't kill me. Yes. Yeah, we have another question from Twitter. It's Mind Thinker says, What is it like to now know that you have entered into a phenomenon that is worldwide? It is. It is so deeply satisfying and and a real joy, um, and and it's just so such a incredibly wonderful feeling to be part of something that is so positive and so in line with the way I think, mm-hmm. um, in terms of the unity and the in the inclusiveness and the it's it's really satisfying because so often as an actor you're working on projects that you know, you're maybe not so proud of, or they're okay, or, you know, um, yes, I shot a Walmart ad, <laughs> such a whore, but, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so to get to work on something that's so meaningful and, and so surprising to the, some of the people I know who I was surprised were so passionate. There's a woman, um, who works high up in one of the hospice organizations. And she just went crazy when she found out I was in it. And, and how you know, I know so many people that are so deeply, uh, personally, feel so personal about it. Right. And it's a beautiful, and you, you wish, you wish for, that's, that's, that's what it's about. That's what the acting and the filmmaking and creative arts for me needs to be about. Um, and what is this? There is a yoga sutra about art is a contagion of true art is a contagion of feeling. And so 
we want it to be positive, you know, and Mm -hmm. evolve us more and inspire us as humans in a a real way and not in a distract, you know, distracting, shallow way and pointing us in, in a nutty direction. This is a very, very, I think true. It's science fiction, but for me, this is a truth. Right. And, um, and it's entertaining. They did it in a creative way. So, people, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. So it's very satisfying. Yeah. I feel lucky. How do you has, let me, let me change this up. How has working on Sense8 changed you as a person or changed your career? Interesting. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's over. Um, so I can't say how that it's affected my career in a way that I know about yet. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, you know, and there's a fun aspect, you know, and I've met wonderful people, you know, I've met wonderful people on it, even in the smaller roles and, and, um, uh, it, it, and, and then strange it connects me to to people who love it and I love that and and we share that and it's it's a connection thing and yeah and hanging out with some of the actors from it is is been really fabulous and yeah it's 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 all positive I can't say anything dramatic because it's so in line it's 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 almost like yeah it's it's so in line with the way I've lived so it's just one of those validating experiences I think is it going to be hard for you to work on anything less than sensate, so to speak, like just the caliber and quality of people and creativity that was spun into this show? You know, I guess hard isn't the word I would use and, and even not disappointing. I mean, um, I love acting, um, and try and make every experience that moment and optimistic. I'm an optimist. So optimistic that there will be more work like this, mm-hmm. um, that this will inspire other works. And yeah, I guess that's it. So I was always someone, this may sound awful, but I was always someone in the theater when everyone was crying and hugging because it's over. I never think of things as over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't, it's just not a concept. It's like, oh, I'm moving on to something else. You know, yeah. where's my next? play so I I that's so I don't I don't go through and and you know I wasn't like you know like Michael I was listening to his interview and you know he was he was so involved and if I had been more you know in every episode traveled with everyone that's a whole different experience right I was in and out and, and got all the frosting and loveliness and didn't have to sure I would love it to go on and on but as we know Everything's temporary. (laughs) So you, I was listening to an interview with you and you said um, that I believe one of your earlier roles, I think as a prison, someone, Mm -hmm. a prisoner influenced your work with um, in the prisons. Mm -hmm. So moving into Sensei, you're saying you were already pretty much living the life that Sensei represents. Do you think Sensei, shifted your activism in any way or influenced you or inspired you to do anything different? You know, I think what, one of the things it did, which I'd been aware of 
transgenders and and the 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 difficulty of of that but that it it, it brought it it, it made it, it felt more personal, it became more personal for me. Mm-hmm. And in uh, some of my work in San Quentin, one of the groups, uh, we ha- have a transgender woman. And so I really, I do, that is a very strong point because it's, it is very strong. And it really did help me, even though I always, you know, you think you're, oh, I'm fine with everybody or, you know, whatever. Right. I deeply felt it after Sense8. I, right. I, it was became part of who I am, and so when I met uh, Kim, I was I, I felt very connected with her and understood more, and right. and that's uh, excellent too. Yeah, that I do I do feel like things I work on, even even the most shallow of things, I hope to bring something back to my life from it. Because it is an art, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, should we talk about death? <laughs> Love death. I've been dying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Let's I want to. I want to start this with a quote that I took from someone named Sandra Fish. <laughs> the moment we die is the most important moment. No. So, no. explain that further. That's an incredible line that you well, said. <laughs> and it's something that has come to me over a lot of, I, I guess I started, I've always been interested, but I, when a, one of my best friends died uh, at age 42 in, in 1997, and uh, she was a costumer in films, by the way, Thelma uh, mm. and Louise, Shawshank Redemption, and, and, and she was uh, amazing the way she died, and I got to hold her hand when she took her last breath, and, and so many profound things happened during that time that I carry with me now. I mean, I could weep. I'm, I'm just so moved by um, the human experience and that we share this and that you feel something happening at that moment. It's, it's undeniable. And so I got further and further into it. And as I've, exp- I, you know, volunteer hospice and holding dying babies and, and um, really passionate about uh, helping uh, prisoners in our prisons to die with dignity and, 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 and some form of peace, because I do think it affects all of us that moment. Um, mm-hmm. It's an expansive, inclusive moment that uh, will affect all of us. And if we have, you know, here San Quentin is just a few miles away from where I live, uh, people dying badly in there, it's a, it's a horrible thing for all, all of us. And affects all our neighborhoods. I just think it's so much. There's so much we don't know, but it is a profound moment. And it doesn't mean it has to be done a certain way. I'm very much about the individual. Uh, you know, they say you die how you live, and also you can change at your last breath. I believe mm-hmm. that too. I think the opportunity to live until your last breath is key. It's yes, we're all dying. But yes, we're all living until that last breath. And it is it is a, a very, uh, you know, to be around it is life changing. Um, and uh, then I have to say one of my favorite quotes from the Zen monk who 
who was teaching Jack Cornfield when he was a young learning to be a monk. And he was worrying and worrying about this and worrying about that. And the monk just looked at him and said, don't worry, soon dead. <laughs> and <laughs> I take great comfort in that. When I, some people don't, but I take great comfort in that because it gives you such a freedom to live. Uh, and not and and when you get worried, we all do about petty things or even maybe big things, and go well. You know, on your bad days, you can say, "Well, I'm going to be dead anyway. <laughs> let that let it go." Uh, or uh, on your good days, you go, "Wow, enjoy this." Um, and and I do make my decisions based on my deathbed. How that moment, it, I do not want to regret anything. Mm-hmm. I don't want to die and think I didn't live. And that that's a horror to me. It's a, it, and so that that is where I make my decisions when I'm confused. And it's more peaceful than birth, I must say. Watching my daughter give birth was a nightmare. All the blood and pain and all the agony. And, 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 and then with death, it, it tends to be very peaceful most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. I think, yeah, yeah um, our society has a very convoluted relationship with death that um, yeah. is sad. You know, I think that bringing our, our remembrance back to that as a continuation of life is really important. And I've had the, the opportunity um, since my – the first time I was with someone um, – at death, I was a young, maybe late teen, early adult. Um, but I've had that experience, some very beautiful experiences with people that I was very close to. And my nephew um, died at 18 months, and we brought him oh. home on hospice thinking he was going to have 24 hours. And it was about four or five days of just holding this baby. Um, in our arms and it changes you, you know, and, yeah. and not yeah. in, in, not in the way that people might think as far as, right. um, the pain of that, you know, um, there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. And I had, um, I mean, I've, I've been at the deathbed with many clients and people because of my work, but just even, mm-hmm. and that's beautiful too. The presence also, I had a really beautiful experience with one of my closest friends who um, was in England. We were, we were sensates, I would say. We were of the same cluster. <laughs> and we were young. Uh, I mean, I met her at a high school exchange, and then she was um, in her early 30s um, when she died of cancer and I went to her it turned out the week before she died she died almost almost right after I left and they were warning me that she was pretty much on her deathbed but we had the most miraculous week she Mm. rallied in the energy we went for a walk she drove me in her sports car and when I said (laughs) goodbye to her parents her dad hugged me and said thank you for bringing us our dad's back which was her nickname. And then she, she, yeah, she crossed gently like two days Mm -hmm. later. Um, 
There's mm. so much beauty at the end of life yeah. when we can there show up. Is. Yeah. Yeah, I was euphoric uh, when my friend took her last breath. I was I was just high for like 24 hours, and then I crashed a couple days later just for the to let the grief part out. But right. yeah, I was you just felt very very euphoric, and it's you know you want to live in that moments, those kinds of moments all the time with that kind of presence, because when you're with, as you know, people who are dying and going on and passing on and transitioning on. I, I am a believer in reincarnation, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it, you're so you, there is no place to go but be very, very present and open. And that's such a one and timeless. It's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful, free place to be. And, and it's a constant practice out in the hubbub of the world yeah i think um i've i've mentioned this before on the podcast quite a bit um i've really been in i've contemplated death for a very long time for many philosophies and Mm. and things like that but something you said earlier about the monk talking to the young man (laughs) is that you know with if we don't truly understand death and what that means we, we really can't live because right we're so we're so tied up in belief systems and restrictions and we're truly not in the flow of life when we're afraid to die but we're when we're in the presence the transcendent energy of death that you mentioned that was so expansive that's when we can live that's when we really come to life because all the inhibitions kind of mm-hmm. melt away because we know we only have just moments left. So just I, I the the contemplation and um reality of death mm-hmm. and how intrinsic it is to living life. I think it's uh, I don't know, for me it's been a very important thing to mill over. Like you you just said it was a practice and it's something that um you know, I've tangoed with <laughs> for quite some yeah. time to to make me to to live the best life I possibly can. We talked about this in the last podcast uh, quite a bit actually. Mm-hmm. I had a little I'll get I'll get you caught up here. Um I talked about I have this little practice that <laughs> I do for for people I appreciate and Sheila in particular in the podcast, but I talk I I think about her eulogy all the time, <laughs> right? And so she, the other day she was interested and she wanted to know what I was talking about. And the reason I do that is because of appreciation and because when somebody passes on, those of us who are still here, we want to remember them for the greatest attributes. So I do that as often as possible because then I'm in constant gratitude for the life that I have and the people that are around me. So I'm very conscious of death and think that it's a very important subject to meditate upon and think upon as you go throughout life. Absolutely. And and I think that since it is a reality, it's in all of us as a reality. And if you're not, and if you're ignoring it or afraid of it, that that feeds every everything in your life you know then it's then it's a fear it's sort of it stops you but if you're embracing it you're right it's expansive and freeing and 
and you get to live and, and not that we don't get afraid of things or, or, uh, but we go on and do them anyway. <laughs> right. It's been said you know? a lot of people who come back or are on their deathbeds, they, they don't, they're upset about the things they didn't do. They don't right. have a lot of regrets. It's just like, I should have done so much more with my life and we're too busy wrapped up in not dying, trying to survive instead of living life. And that's why we don't do those things. Right, right. I'm always going, just, I'm always walking around thinking, what, do they think they're going to live forever? Do it now. <laughs> well, well, there's a Buddhist thing, I think it says, welcome everything, push nothing away. Right. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, thank you for the death talk. <laughs> yeah, no problem. What do you what about what about life after death? Do you do you feel like you can com, like do you do you feel the presence? We had to go through dr- grief. So you talked about with your friend that euphoric mm-hmm. feeling um and feeling probably connected to her even after that last breath. Oh, much all the time, yeah. And I do and I don't care how crazy it sounds because I finally have accepted, I mean, after a few things, you know, she communicates with me mm-hmm. and communicated with me even right after she died and, and, and continues to. So that's a, a comfort. And I remember there was a counselor I had who was a brilliant metaphysical thinker and ex-priest and, and he died at 80 and I was upset because I, you know, and told my daughter, gosh, I'm, I miss talking to Father Tolliver. <laughs> she said, well, you can still talk to him. Right. <laughs> and it's true. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess I can. <laughs> <laughs> so there is this endless feeling, you know, it's eternity is a is a big word. <laughs> right. But you said, I, I'm going to say it now, I don't care about being perceived as crazy. I would say it's crazy that the world thinks we don't communicate after death. Like, yeah. <laughs> to I, me, I that's too. insanity. Think, <laughs> yeah, that's a very narrow mind and life. If you, I mean, because there's so many outstanding miracles happening all the time, and we would call them miracles. Um, and what was the, there's also a Rilke quote that is, um, what is it? Love and death are the great gifts given to us. Seldom are they opened. Mm. And I just want to open all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, think that's, so, I think it's yeah. awesome. And to live that way and to make your decisions based on that, you know, yeah. um, and come to peace with it. I do think in many religions and at the core of um Maybe psychosis, even. I was a therapist before I was the Uh spiritual um, teacher. But, you know, we have this core conflict. And it's, it's innate in our being. I think that we're programmed with an instinct. I call the ego our primitive instinct to survive. And we're programmed to survive. And at the same time, there's this knowing of something really beautiful that happens after life. And so you see it in almost every religion, this, like, it's going to be wonderful when you die, but don't die, (laughs) you know? And it's in the very core of our being, which is our psychosis in humanity, I think. Yeah. And that's why we, I mean, to me, it's all about evolving. Um, And so we're here to learn and and grow. And so that conflict is, I think, you know, eggs us on to, to learn and grow. So we have that peace and 
Um, I'm a big fan of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. I've been reading them for almost 30 years, I guess. Every day I read one. And it, it does. The main focus is taming the ego and the reality of unity. And, 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 and there's also the timelessness that is focused on and eternity and mm-hmm. spaciousness and all of that. But I think uh, it, it, there is that conflict and the conflict is there for growth. And so we, as we meditate and grow and, and, and learn and, and be open to that, that conflict starts to dissolve, really. I mean, it's, the conflict becomes softer. Mm-hmm. That dividing line is, is softened. Yeah, that's really the difference. Like you mentioned, um, you really believe in in the unity of humanity, and and yeah. not just that. I mean, we we're we're in union with our environment too, our natural environment yes. and everything. And I think for me, one of the um, so we we teach ourselves right now our current construct for humanity is separation theology in many ways not just religion, yes. right? And so unity consciousness is where we're all headed, and that's what Sensate's about. But uh, yes. another another beautiful thing about life and death, they're not separate. They're connected. Yes. And they're, yes. they are part of our contextual reality for experience, yes. right? And so that's why what you said here is death is the most important moment because at the precipice between life and death is when we really get to slip into this transcendent state. And that's a gift from the creator. And we all get to have that experience where, um, where, where we get to be in that timelessness, be in a different, it's so peaceful. Anyway, it's a beautiful (laughs) thing. So, but that's, that's also part of what Sheila was saying. Like our, our society doesn't have a very good, understanding or we argue over these things because it's so subjective but it's really life and death should be considered in the unity consciousness and not the separation theology that we teach yes we really do like death here the three of us yeah I mean, uh, the beauty of it, right? This really smart, well-read Buddhist guy on the bus once. He goes, "I just want to walk around with a sign that says, Isn't it wonderful? We're all going to die.'" <laughs> <laughs> but, and again, we do have to take. I mean, it doesn't take away the grief. You mentioned how you, you know, felt that joy of your friends crossing, but then you still have to go through the grief. So. I just want to say to all our listeners, even though we're having this conversation, it doesn't mean that we don't experience the grief or go through that pain and all of that, too. Which is what I want. You know, I talk with there's this one amazing palliative care doctor, B.J. Miller. He did a one of the top rated uh, TED Talks a couple of years ago. um, And he lives here and we work. He's on our board, actually. And he's an amazing person. But we talk about always and maybe this is about the no morphine thing, because we're kind of on board with as we live, we want to feel everything, the grief, the pain, the, the, the awkwardness, the uncomfortableness of being human, the suffering. And of course, then you get the joy and the beauty and and beauty and joy, even in that awkward pain right and and it's it's i don't really know where i was headed but um yeah we want to feel it all well the grief i guess that's what what i was thinking and and, you know i can be very present with people and laughing and being around them as they're suffering and they want to laugh and we're talking and then 
nine times out of 10, I walk out that door and I sob. It just comes out of my body. Right. You know, it, it's something that's there and it comes out and then it's gone. But it does, It I do have to release that very human um, emotion and it's it, you don't want to keep it in your body for sure. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> right, and that's the whole, I mean, in, in some ways, um, aside from helping people transition, the whole point of embracing death is so we can live more fully. And yes. that means all the emotions, you know? That means yes. we're not trying to avoid any emotion. We're diving yes. right in yes. to them. It is exciting. I'm, I'm like, whenever someone says they're bored or something, I'm like, how can you be bored? There's so much going on. I mean, it's, I have to contain myself more more than anything. Yeah, just, you should just ask him. Are you ready to die? What? What are you talking about? Are you ready to die? Well, no, I got all this shit to do. Well, then go do it. You're not bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep living. Yeah, yeah. My mother, who's ninety, is not good at talking about death, and we try and talk to her about it, and you know, to get her wishes and things. And she's like, "Oh, you girls go. I'm not going." <laughs> <laughs> well, Mom, I got some news for you. And I took care of a 103-year-old who is quite feisty, and, and she only started really getting weak when she was dying the last couple weeks, and she was in bed and talking to me, and she, she got very frightened and, and said, am I dying? And I said, well, I don't know. I can't tell if you're dying or not, but you are 103. It could be likely that you are. <laughs> And then she stared into space for a minute, and then she just said, well, everybody dies. And I said, yeah. And she goes, so I will die too. And and then she said, but I've got so much left to do. <laughs> it was so poignant. Yeah. Life is poignant. That's beautiful. And this is, this. we're just talking about the big, the big death, right? There's so many little deaths that we experience yes. and change and yes. go through on this journey of being a human human being as well. And understanding the big death can help us understand the little deaths a little more and vice versa. Vice versa. My daughter said out loud the other day, uh, she just said, well, it's, you know, it's, I've discovered that it's all about letting go so that we will be able to let go at, at the end. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's a constant letting go of things. And, and I appreciate that. And I, and I, do that myself it's it's a it's a really wise even when I held her and looked at her I thought she's not mine she's not mine mm -hmm. you know you gotta start letting go now because uh, it's such as you know as a mother uh, such an, a tightly woven texture and and there's a lot of pain emotional pain of letting go but it's when you let go you're closer exactly <laughs> somehow yeah, I mean, I, I, same thing, right from when my children were born, I knew my job was to let them go progressively until yeah. it actually, like you said, it makes you closer. We had no struggles during their teenage years Very because we were always letting them go, you know, mm -hmm. letting them grow and letting them go. And at one point, um, my daughter was near the end of her teenage years and she's I kept saying well we might not get along at some point during your teenage years and she's like mom if that was going to happen I think it would have happened by now you know? <laughs> awesome. especially with mother daughter that's awesome <laughs> but it's all because of that little because it's yeah like you have to grieve 
if it's the grieving the two-year-old, grieving the infant, grieving the five-year-old, you know, as a mother yeah. and as ourselves. Like, I look back at my life sometimes and I grieve my teenager, you know, like they're, they're all still, they're like different human beings, even yeah. myself as a child, as a teen. Yeah. And if you constantly let go, then yeah, that big let go is easier. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a planner. I mean, I plan, I suppose I plan some things, you know, and my morning is important, but I always find, yeah, the more I let go and just follow my nose, profound things happen. It's like, wow, if I hadn't done that, that wouldn't happen, you know? Right. It's like, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And I ran into so-and-so and, you know, my life has changed and, and it just, yeah, being open you get more, I think I get more um, experience, helpful experience than being closed where I would close myself off from really my destiny, I think, in a way. You know, you, you can take either path. There's an easier path and a less painful path, and then there's the painful path. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I feel the Go same out. way. I, I like to stay open, too, and it's led me to a great many experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. have some interesting things coming up with the prison. Can you can you talk a little bit more about the well, prison? prison hospice project that yeah. I've been passionate about for over a decade? And it's been a long road and winding road. And now I have these amazing people involved that have lifted it to another place. And we're going into San Quentin. Finally, a year ago, a little over a year ago, we started going in once a week. And training stealth. The, the prison is not on board um, at San Quentin. Mm. And we work with this group of prisoners called Brothers Keepers. It was formed in 2005 to help uh, train them to be crises counselors to help uh, with suicide in prisons. But they help with many, many things. And they've been interested in end of life issues for a long time. And I've been going in and visiting and talking about it. But now we finally did this eight month training with them, a small group of brother keepers graduates and they graduated last week, which was huge. And, uh, so now we're sort of open to talking about it cause we were afraid the prison would close us down and not let us come in anymore. But now that they've been trained, they can't take, we take away their training cause people are dying badly, badly in prisons and isolated and sometimes without any help in cells. And when they die in a cell, their cellmate who has now become, it's like family members and they've even cared for them and, uh, quite deeply and but when a cellmate dies they take the living cellmate and put him in the hole which is isolation in a oh very dark damp black hole and because they ha and they sometimes for months while they investigate make sure you know no foul play oh my so gosh. it's so imagine grieving in isolation darkness and no human contact that sounds um, terrible yeah yeah it's yeah. It's, it's inhumane. And so we are working very hard at this. And there's an artist who has been coming in and drawing the men. And because there's only men in the group, no transgender in, in that particular group. Or, and she's doing a, a, a one page piece in California magazine. It's on the last page and it'll be in the L.A. Times and it'll be in. Uh, San Francisco Chronicle and and there's a lot of people that want to start doing podcasts with us and 
there's an international person on our board who wants us to go to the UN and and it it is important. Uh, I, I always get quite upset. It's it's very important that we take care of these people in in our prisons who shouldn't be in that mm-hmm. space anyway. And they are treated very badly. And they are the people we work with are some of the most emotionally intelligent people I have ever met. They have grown so much from horrible childhoods. And because of the programs at San Quentin that they've taken advantage of, these are, you know, and even the people who don't take programs, we must be humane enough to to care for them at least at that last moment if we haven't their whole lives and not as children never supported them at that last moment we as a society we need to do that so yes that's the passion and um humane prison hospice project.org is our website which um inmates created uh last mile program so that is a passion uh, and, we're, and we're talking about getting it on uh, on the ballot in California as well. So that's really powerful. It is, and I I'm so grateful for you for for doing this for bringing the attention to people and um, thank you and for seeing them as human. You know, I I did kind of going back to talking about Janet and me growing up in a middle class suburb and you know, the belief system that bad people went to jail. And then I moved beyond that and realized, you know, poor people go to jail or minorities go to jail. (laughs) You know, it doesn't have... Yeah, for us to say good and bad people. Oh well, the bad people are in there, so it's okay, you know. And it couldn't be more wrong. And and of course, yeah. And I when I taught in Rikers, and they'd say you know, they would, there's a lot of shame. And, and I'd say, look, I just didn't get caught, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm white. And, right. um, there, you know, don't you, there's, there, our society needs to be ashamed, not you. Um, it, it's so the opposite of what should, how this should be handled that, yeah, so it is good to educate people because they don't know. I mean, I talk to people around here and, and, and they're shocked. There's not, end-of-life care in the prisons. Right. Yeah, and and hearing what you said about them putting the cellmate in isolation just blew my mind. Like, I would not have, you know, I mean, I could, the other things that you've said and stuff, it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't put my attention on that, but I can can see that. But but that piece, like... Wow, that's very it's traumatic. Breaking international laws too. I just found out, you know, of of cruel and unusual punishment. Right. Um, there's an international law that phrases it differently, but it, it is breaking the law. And and our prisons in in California, I'm not sure about the country, but they're their own fiefdom, and so they get to make their own laws, and they can also make good laws depending on the warden. Uh-huh. So. I'm I'm optimistic. <laughs> It'll happen. That's awesome. So, you need to be. You know? Well, you're making it happen. It's been a right. long journey for this, you know, and you're making a lot of headway there. Yes, a lot of headway this year and a lot now. And and thanks to, yeah, Lady Bird Morgan and a, a slew of people who are just exceptional uh, talents in this work. And, yeah, mm-hmm. good combination of people. 
That's why. Yeah. Talk about living the sensate way and paying it forward. Definitely. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. I hope so. In my book, anyway. It does. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, Ladybird, who's the facilitator, and she's uh, she's worked with Doctors Without Borders and and done a lot of hospice. She's a hospice nurse, and she works in psych wards to make some money, and then does this enormous work at San Quentin. Uh, she loves Sensate, <laughs> and she often says uh, she'll mention someone and goes, "He's my Sensate. <laughs> He's one of my Sensates." You know, right so on. it's very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Sandra Fish, thank you so much for coming to the show and talking with us today. It's been amazing. You are such a beautiful person and such an amazing Janet. <laughs> you, you Janet, so awesome. <laughs> so can you give the listeners the website again for yes. the project so they can learn more about what you're doing and maybe there's a donation that we can make? Cool. There's a little button for that if they want. Um, awesome. Just put your hearts there. That's good. Um, thank you. It's humaneprisonhospiceproject.org. Perfect. Humaneprisonhospiceproject.org. Yes. All right, thank everybody, you. check it out. <laughs> thank you, Sandra. <laughs> God, thank you so much. So fun. What a beautiful show we had today with Sandra Fish. That brings us to the end, folks. If you enjoyed this show, head over to patreon.com forward slash livesensate. Get some exclusive perks over there and support us so we can grow even more. We can be reached at, on Twitter at live underscore sense eight. You can send us an email at team at livesensate.com. Please review us on whatever platform you are. iTunes is the best. So if you can give us a five-star rating and review on our episodes, that would be amazing to help us reach more Sense8 people and bring more awareness to all the concepts of the show as we continue the dialogue. And thank you very much for all your social love out there on social media and supporting us that way it really does mean a lot and until next time continue living the sensate way